you can. I'm not going to apologize for doing what I believe the Lord would have me to do, but I'm going to give you an unusual Wednesday night message if that's okay. It won't be the first one. It probably won't be the last one. Somebody say amen right there. The book of Ephesians chapter number 3. Now when you read, (coughs) excuse me, the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians, you'll find that Paul is talking about us being dead in sin, how we were separated from God. And then he goes on to talk about how that he quickened us by his spirit and he put us in his family. And he said that the wall, the wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile had been torn down. In other words, there's no racial barriers with God. Red, yellow, black and white, Jew, Gentile, they're all precious in his sight. Somebody say amen right there. And he talks about how we are now part of the family of God because we have been born into that family from the Spirit of God from above. Now with all that in mind, he begins to write down verse number 14. Now because the wall of partition has been torn down, and because we are now birthed into the family of God, look at what Paul says in Ephesians 3.14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to take my thought from verse 15. Watch verse number 15. It's very important. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Terry, would you pray for us tonight? Thank you so much. Now you probably notice around here uh, when we refer to each other, Richard, we refer to each other as brother and sister. Uh, Now we don't do that because we were all born into the same family physically speaking. Your biological mother and father are not the same biological mother and father that I have. Uh, So why do we go around calling each other brother and sister? It's because we have something in common, not because of our first birth, but because of our second birth. We've all been brought into one family through the blood of Jesus Christ, and now God is our Father. That's what we have in common. Now the Bible tells us here in verse 15 that God's family is divided between two locations. Some of God's family is in heaven already. And then some of God's family are still on earth here with us. But did you know that according to the Bible, there are three institutions that God ordained? And I just want to say for an afterthought that all three of these institutions that God ordained are the ones that are the most under attack by the devil in the day in which we live. The first great institution that God ever instituted was the family. When he created Adam and then he put Adam to sleep and he gave him Eve and then they fell in the garden and they started to bear children. The first institution that God ever gave the world was the family. Uh, 
The second institution that God ever gave the world was the institution of government. And Lord God help, we don't want to go there tonight. I'm depressed enough. Somebody say amen. The third institution that God gave the world was the church. The local body of New Testament believers, the people who are born again. But ladies and gentlemen, the oldest and the most ancient of the three institutions that God gave the world is that of the family. It touches God. God is a family-oriented person. Hey, that's why He identified Himself as our Father. That's why we're called children of God. It's because the heartbeat of God is centered around one thing. And it's, and it's this thing that we call the family. Now I remember many years ago, my grandparents making me load up early in the morning and go to something they called Decoration Day. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, some of you may still participate in that, I don't know. Uh, but I remember getting up early in the morning and getting in the car and going across the mountain to spend the day in the cemetery. And they spent the whole day cleaning up Joanne and they'd pull weeds and they'd put out fresh flowers and they'd make sure the cemetery looked, looked nice. And these are people I never met in my life. People who were dead before I was even thought of. That's a time, hey, that's a time-honored tradition where we come from down here in the South. That, that's something that's very revered and it's very respected in our part of the world. And that's because we worship the dead saints and we persecute the living ones. Somebody say amen right there. That'll help you, Terry. And I remember very specifically, Benny, on one of those headstones there was an old wagon wheel. Y'all know what I'm talking about, little house on the prairie wagon wheel? And it was covered with flowers. But there was a problem with this wheel. It had a spoke missing out of it. Now I don't know much about wagon wheeling. I don't want to know nothing about wagon wheeling. I don't want to know nothing about plowing. I don't want to know nothing about farming. Don't tell me. I don't want to know nothing about it. Don't bother me with that. But I got sense enough to know that a wagon wheel is not going to operate in its function with a spoke missing. Am I right? Some of y'all look like y'all was alive when they had wagon wheels. Somebody help me right there. Beardy was. The problem with that, that flower arrangement, that wagon wheel, was that a spoke was missing. Now I thought, not knowing nothing, I thought that somebody had dropped it. Somebody had vandalized it. Somebody had broke it. But come to find out, it was made that way. The wheel was representing the unity of the family. And because this member of the family had died, the family circle had been broken. That meant that no matter how many times our family met, no matter where we met, no matter what we did, the family circle would never be complete again because somebody had died. That's been a long time ago, Becky, but I've never forgot that. But it's with that thought in mind tonight, that's what I'd like to preach on, if I may please, with the help of the Lord. I want to preach on the subject, will the family circle be unbroken? Will your family circle... Be unbroken. Let me ask you a question, ma'am. When this thing is over and you're dead and life is over and we all gather on the other side of the grave, I just wonder, are you going to be there with your family? Have you done what the Bible said that one must do to inherit eternal life? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior in faith and repentance? Are you sure, are you positive without a shadow of a doubt that when God calls His children to meet Him in the air, are you going to be in that great number? Hey, God's a family man. 
God is family oriented and He wants all families to be together and He wants all of His family to be together. Are you listening to me? Everybody okay? I want to show you three reasons from the Bible that the family circle ends up being broken. And then we'll do something else. Number one, first of all, I'd like to say that many family circles have been broken due to a thing called sin. Sin is the number one cause of homes decaying, dying, and splitting apart. Sin is the reason that homes are in the condition they're in today. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a flesh-driven, self-centered, self-obsessed society. We live in days when people are blinded and they're ignorant to what it means to be committed to a marriage and to be dedicated to a home and to a family. We live in days when people are careless and they're selfish and liquor and drugs come before the groceries and it comes before the rent money. Young parents pawn their children off on their older parents and grandparents are having to raise their grandchildren. There's no commitment anymore. There's no responsibility anymore. I'm I'm sure Becky could stand up and testify of all the cases she deals with, of all the broken families that she deals with. Isn't sin the number one reason that those homes are split apart, Becky? Can you verify that for us tonight? I read a statistic the other day that said 70% of school-aged children in the United States of America are not being raised in a traditional home, which means they're not being raised by their real mother and their real father. That means 7 out of 10 kids that you meet every day, Terry, 7 out of 10 that you see for the rest of your life are not being raised by their real parents. And I know that sometimes things happen and, and you just have to do the best you can. But people's lives are ruined by sin. Homes are divided by sin. Some of us sitting here right now came from situations like that. And I'm sorry but that somebody walked away from the home. Somebody walked away from the family because of sin. But dear sir, might I remind you, as long as there's sin in this world, I just want you to know that it's after your home. It's after your family. Sin is going to catch up to you if you're not careful. Sin is after you. Hey, we ought to stop painting up sin. We ought to stop making sin look pretty. I still believe we ought to preach against sin. I still believe we ought to preach against sin, Terry. I think we ought to preach against sin in specifics. And bless God, we ought to name it. We ought to call sin by name. We've got a whole new generation of people at the church house, Terry. And they don't mind if you talk about sin in general. They don't care if you talk about sin in general. But bless God, they can't handle it when you go to naming it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to mess around and you're going to call their sin out. You're going to step on their pet sin. I think you ought to name it. I think you ought to be specific. Everybody okay with that? I think you ought to name it. I think you ought to call it what it is. This, help me, this lip-wristed liberal crowd, they'll say, well, I just don't think y'all to preach on things and everything. We're beyond that. We're, Lord help me. We're, we're, we're deeper life. We're, we're in small groups. We're students. Look up in here, hoss. My hind leg. God didn't choose the foolishness of small groups. And he didn't choose the foolishness of Bethmore Bible studies to save them that are lost. God chose the foolishness of preaching. He chose preaching. 
And I think when the preacher mounts the pulpit, we ought to say, hey, it's still wrong to steal. Hey, it's still wrong to tell a lie. It's still wrong to drink liquor. It's still wrong to cuss. It's still wrong to cheat on your taxes. It's still wrong to be a homosexual. It's still wrong to fool around with somebody that you ain't married to. It's still right to call sin by its name. Everybody okay? Don't get nervous on me. And you want to get bent out of shape because the preacher steps on your pet sin every once in a while. Are you crazy? Are you out of your ever-loving mind? Sin is after your home. You want me to give you some Bible for that? All right, let's talk about David. Let's talk about what sin did to the family circle of David. You remember David was at home one day when he should have been on the battlefield. And you know the story how he was looking out his window one day and he saw Bathsheba and he lusted after her and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You know what happened. He tried to call Uriah from the battle and at home to cover up his sin, but Uriah, Uriah was committed to his brethren. He was committed to the cause. He was committed to the battle. And he refused to go home and enjoy being with his wife. So David sent Uriah back to the battle with his own death warrant in his hands. An innocent man... A good man, an honorable man, a loyal man was sent to die because of sin. You know the story later on, the child that David and Bathsheba conceived, it died because of David's sin. David's family circle was broken the first time because of sin. Later on, you remember Amnon and Tamar, both of whom were David's children. Amnon lusted after Tamar to the point that it made him physically sick. Amnon tricked her into coming down to the tent and taking care of him care of him and while they were alone Amnon raped his own sister and you know the story Absalom David's other son found out about it and he had Amnon killed David's family circle was broken the second time because of sin now what about Absalom it was Absalom who, who, who got his hair done instead of cut somebody help me right there it was Absalom who rebelled against his father and ran him off the throne. It was Absalom who got all that gorgeous hair, uh, all of his luscious locks tied up in a tree, and he got hung up. And David's men killed him by putting three darts through his heart. David's family circle was broken again because of this thing called sin. And boy, we'll play with it. And we'll think sin is fun and it's cute and it's nothing to take seriously. And we'll get mad at the preacher for preaching against sin. You've got to be kidding me, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, sin's killing our homes. Sin's killing our country. Sin's killing our churches. And somebody ought to be standing against sin. I'm talking about sin, ladies and gentlemen. Sin will tear your home apart. Some of you here tonight, good people. People I love. Some of you have to go to bed every night and weep over a child that's rebelled and tore your home absolutely apart because of sin. I say to you, the family circle is broken because of sin. Excuse me. If y'all wouldn't make me holler at you, I wouldn't be so out of breath. Somebody say amen right there. Number two, the family circle sometimes is broken not only because of sin, but because of sickness. For some reason, some of us think that we're going to live forever. It's always the person down the road that dies. It's always our uncle in another state who dies. It's always a cousin that we didn't really know that dies. And we fail to realize 
that death is coming our way. We fail to realize that one day it's going to be our name. One day it's going to be our name, our number. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll get ourselves into thinking that our little family is going to live together forever. But I got news for you, sir. That's not going to happen. One of these days, you're going to get the phone call that a lot of us has already got. You're going to find that your daddy's dead. You're going to find out your mama's got cancer. Somebody you love is going to get killed in an accident. And no matter how much you weep, no matter how much you cry, the family circle will never be together again. You know, <coughs> this is just Chrisology. This and a dollar will get you a tea at McDonald's. But just hang with me. You know, I think about the story of the prodigal son a lot, Joe. The son comes home and there's dancing and they're singing and they've killed the fatted calf and everything is wonderful. And the Bible talks about the father and the Bible talks about the older brother and it talks about the servants. But Terry, have you ever noticed that it says nothing about his mother? I've often wondered what happened to mama? And now stay with me. Let me borrow your imagination for just a minute. I just wonder, did he come back home and he got that new robe and he got the new shoes and he got the ring on his finger and they're singing and they're dancing and they're feasting and everything's wonderful and all of a sudden that prodigal son realizes, hey, somebody's missing. Somebody's not here. But I just wonder, in the midst of all that excitement, I just wonder, did he turn to his daddy and say, Daddy, I've got right with God. I've got right with you. But daddy, I need to get right with mama. Maybe he said, is mama in the kitchen cooking? Is she in the kitchen, daddy? And all of a sudden a hush falls over that celebration. Daddy, what's wrong? Where's mama? I just wonder if his dad said, son, while you were gone, mom got sick and she died. She's gone, son. And no matter how much he wept, he was right with God, right? He got right with his father, right? But no matter how much he repented, and no matter how much he wept, it was not bringing his mother back. I say this from experience, ladies and gentlemen. Are you listening to me? You better love your family while you got them. And you better let them know that you love them while you got them. Because one day you're going to wake up, and it's going to be your mom, or it's going to be your dad, or it's going to be your spouse that's gone. I'll never forget... I would, and I don't don't say this disrespectfully because I I do it because I love people. But the hardest thing in the world for me is singing at a funeral. I I, I, I do it because I respect the dead and I respect the people who ask me, Joanne, but I hate to sing at a funeral. It's so hard. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. I'll never forget it. Several years ago, I sung for a man, uh, I barely knew, I sung for his funeral. He had six children. And only one of them showed up for the funeral. Funny enough, it was his youngest son, the one who gave him the most trouble. And do you know what that man said to me after the funeral was over and everybody had left and it was all said and done and we were getting ready to pack up and say goodbye? He said, my biggest regret is I never told my daddy that I love him. He said, I'm going to have to live the rest of my life knowing that I never told my daddy that I love him. And he said, I'd give anything if God would just bring him back long enough for me to say, Daddy, I love you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've got parents that are still living, if you've got grandparents that are still living, ladies and gentlemen, you don't realize how blessed that you really are. 
Hey, I'd give anything I had, Becky. Anything I've got over yonder in that ho- holler. I'd crawl on my belly through hot sand if it meant I could spend one more evening with my grandmother. I, I mean, she's in heaven now. I wouldn't bring her back for nothing. But I'd give anything if I could just wrap my arms around her one more time and say, Mamma, I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know how much you mean to me. But one of these days, sir, the phone call is going to come to your house. And somebody you love is going to be gone. And the family circle is going to be broken. And by the way, if you can't call your family members and tell them you love them, shame on you. It is a shame. Somebody say amen right there. If you can't call people in your own family and say, I just want you to know that I love you, shame on you. They're not perfect, but hey, neither are you. You better love your parents. You better love your spouse. You better love your children. Because sickness could come at any time and take them out of here. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to help you. I say to you, one day sickness will come and the family circle will be broken. Excuse me. Number three. The family circle will be broken because there's a day of sentencing. I'm talking about Judgment Day. Let me tell you something, sir. I can handle separation because of sin. Because later on down the road, I can get right with God. You can get right with God. And we can work this thing out if our family circle separated just because of sin. I can handle the family circle being broken because of sickness. Because if we're saved, we'll all be together again in heaven. Hey, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. We bury our loved ones with the intention of seeing them again because we've been saved. We have that assurance. But there's a day coming, ma'am, and it's called Judgment Day. And what makes this breaking of the family circle so much worse than the others is that it's not temporary. It's final and it's forever. Let me give you something to think about. This will, this will help you go to sleep tonight. Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. You don't have to turn there. You need to go home and read your Bible anyway. Somebody say amen right there. You realize if you know anything about your Bible, all the saved from the beginning of time until the very end of time will be judged at what we call the judgment seat of Christ. That's going to take place after the rapture of the church. It will be there. It will be judged according to our works. Uh, what we did after we were saved and we'll be rewarded according to our works. So we'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ to determine what rewards and what crowns we may or may not receive. But there's another judgment, Terry. There is a separate judgment for all those who never received Christ as their Savior. John called it the great white throne judgment. Now your Bible says that this is the judgment where God will pass sentence on all the unsaved since the beginning of time. Isn't that what your Bible says? The Bible also says that heaven's going to flee to one corner of the universe and earth is going to flee to the other corner of the universe. <coughs> but I got a question. Excuse me. I got a question. I got a legitimate question, Terry. If heaven is fled and earth is fled, if God is judging sinners, I just wonder, could it be that us, the saved by grace... We'll be standing on the sidelines witnessing God in His final judgment. 
I mean, I just wonder, could it be that God's children, robed in white, will be there on that day to watch God pass His final judgment like an audience sits in the courtroom? I'm just giving you something to think about. Don't let me lose you. We're there to witness just how righteous and how holy and how pure the judgment of God is towards sin and all those people who rejected His Son. It's called the day of judgment because God is about to pronounce judgment on every man and woman who ever rejected Jesus. Death and, the Bible says that death and hell is going to give up the dead that's in them and the sea is going to give up the dead that's in it. The Bible says that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire and this is the second death. And the Bible says that whosoever... Are you listening to me? Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of the fire. Now think about this now. You've got a great white throne. Every lost sinner that's ever died without Christ will stand before God. And you're going to stand before God, lady, whether you like it or not. It's going to happen. Paul said that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, you might not want to confess Jesus is Lord now, but I promise you one day, there is a day coming where you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God is going to remind you of every time you sat in church. And He's going to remind you of every time you heard a preacher preach. He's going to remind you of every time that He ever dealt with your heart about being saved. He's going to remind you of every time that He put you under old-fashioned conviction. And God's going to remind you of all the opportunities that you had to be saved. But wait a minute, ma'am. Hold on a minute, mama. Here you are standing before the Lord. And you look around the throne. And oh my God, is that my husband? Oh my God, is that my children? They were saved. I was lost, but they were saved. And you bow your head and you say, Dear Lord, I just want to say, I'm sorry. And Lord, if I had it to do all over again, I'd get saved. And Lord, I'm ready to get saved right now if you'll save me. If you'll just give me one more chance, I'll get saved right now. But I'm so sorry, friend. God's not here to save you. God is here to sentence you. Can you imagine the great God of the universe saying, Depart from me. I never knew you. Can you imagine being bound hand and foot by an angel and being cast into an eternal lake of fire? Can you imagine screaming your way into eternity? Let me turn that question. Let me turn that around and ask you saved people a question. How'd you like to be standing there on the sidelines? And watch a member of your family be told, Depart from me. I never knew you. How would you like to be standing on the sidelines and watch somebody you love be bound hand and foot? How would you like to be standing there and watch a just holy God have an angel cast somebody you love screaming into eternity forever and ever and ever? How would you like it? Right before the angel casts them into the lake of the fire, they, tu- they turn around and they look you square in the eye and they say, why didn't you tell me? You never mentioned Jesus to me. You never told me. You never warned me. You said that you loved me. You said that you cared about me. Why didn't you tell me that if I died without Jesus, I'd go to hell? Why didn't you tell me that I had to be born again? Why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen to me? Why didn't you tell me? 
And you have to stand there, Joanne. Think about this. Helpless. Nothing you could do. And watch your husband, watch your wife, watch your sister, your brother, or God forbid one of your children be cast screaming bloody murder into the lake of fire forever. My God, Terry, no wonder that God has to wipe away all tears in Revelation 21.1. No wonder God has to wipe the, to those tears away. You tell me that you're not going to stand and be witness to that and you're not going to weep? Come on now. I say to you, saved people, Christians, God's children... We could all do a whole lot better than what we've been doing. We've got people in our own family who don't even know who Jesus is. But I say to you one day, there will be a day of separation. There will be a day when the family circle's broken. And it will be broken forever. And if you're not saved, if people we love are not saved, Richard, then the family circle's not only going to be broken but it's going to be broken forever and ever and ever. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Let me tell you what I would believe I'd do. If I knew I was here tonight and I wasn't saved, I wouldn't leave this building without, without asking Jesus to save my soul. Are you listening to me? Somewhere along life's way, your family circle is going to be broken. I promise you, I guarantee you, if Jesus does not come, all of us are going to experience our family circle being broken. So what are you going to do? Are you going to die law so that that separation is final and it's permanent and it's forever? Do you really want to die in your sin and go to hell for all of eternity? Do you really want to put yourself in a position that while your family is in heaven enjoying the presence of God that you're in a position where you're suffering forever and ever and ever? I tell you what I'd do. I wouldn't care who was looking. I wouldn't care what other people thought. I'd get up out of my seat and I'd get saved by the grace of God tonight. Eternity is an awful long time to be lost and it's an awful long time for your family to be separated. But for the saved people... We have a promise of a never-ending family reunion. But let me turn this around and ask you saved people something. Is there somebody in your family, somebody close to your heart that you know if they die in the condition they're in, they're not ready to meet God? Do you care enough to ask God to renew your burden for them tonight? Do you care enough about the members of your family that you know aren't right with God and they're lost to ask God to renew your burden, and not only to renew your burden, but to give you opportunities to speak to them about the things of God. Let me tell you something, sir. Nobody should ever have to go screaming into eternity saying, you didn't tell me. I didn't know. So I just wonder, will your family circle be unbroken? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together in the house of God. Lord, I pray you take my feeble effort, Lord, and accomplish what you'd have accomplished. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way. You need to, you want to dismiss or you want me to? Okay.